hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here with a man who is dressed to impress, Patrick McIntosh. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Hello there. Hello, hello. And also, not quite as dressed nicely, but I mean, appropriate, Adam Dyson. How you doing, man? What are you trying to say? I have a nice, I'm trying to gray, say... comfy shirt on. <laughs> yeah, but you're not in a suit and tie like our boy Patrick over here. Patrick, wait, in Adam's defense, <laughs> in Adam's defense, he did have to teach Corey the proper Windsor knot a few weeks ago. Yeah. I did not forget that, Ed. My Air Force brain that. was See? just ticking out. <laughs> <laughs> is it me or does the Air Force have the good uniforms? Like... The Air Force has the best of everything on the armed forces. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> Depends which country. I know at least here. <laughs> I know at least in the United States, the, like the Air uh, Air Force is like you know the and they make everybody else jealous. <laughs> it's like Marines, old your grandfather's old boots. Yep. Air Force, a pair of Air Max Nike uh, military boots that are in, uh, got the special soles at the bottom that are you know comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, for me, I just I just prefer my slippers and sweatpants and a hoodie. You know, like I'm I'm fine. <laughs> you do you, Timothy. <laughs> I will. I will. And a hello to everybody else that is joining us in the chat, regardless of whether you are wearing a suit and tie or sweatpants or what have you. We are glad that you are here. Glad that you are with us. Um, glad that you're listening to us, whether it's on Patreon or here in the Discord chat. Glad to be with you guys. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're live in Discord every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And we also hit the Utini Patreon feeds every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you'd like more info on either of those things, shoot us a message. We'll get you all sorted out. Just a couple of quick updates. Adam, do you want to tell the good people about the Utinis? I can do that. Probably won't do it justice, though, but I'll try. Uh, so the Utinis are up and live for our community to go in and vote on numerous categories from the best cover to the best quote to the best moment. Uh, we have a link on Discord to that particular Google voting page in our announcements channel. So I tagged everyone and, you know, gave you that notification. So um, jump into the announcements channel and you'll find the link. I know that it's also on Facebook, so it's on all our social media outlets. So get in there and vote and have your voice heard. That's, yeah. Good stuff. It's also on Patreon as well for our patrons who are listening in. And this is your chance to really kind of put your voice forward on the best of the best of the EU for the year 2020 in a, in a year that has been absolutely bonkers for most of us. We're going to find some good in the Star Wars community and, and the, the best, the things that have hit us the most, um, I guess. So definitely check out the Utinis. We also, on the Patreon front, have another new show coming. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to get super in-depth into it. I just want to say that Trevor and Jose are working on um, what I think will be one of the coolest, most fun, and 
probably random shows that we'll have. Um, it's going to be called the Star Wars Archives, and it is explicitly to get into the random kind of obscure stuff about Star Wars. Trevor being the timeline genius guru that he is with his 918 Star Wars books, like we, we got to get that knowledge out into the world. <laughs> and Jose doing deep dives on everything that he does. Oh my gosh, I'm so looking forward to it. New episodes are going to drop here really soon. And then I think they're going to hit bi-weekly after that. So look look out for that here within the next week or two. I think we're going to release the first couple of episodes back to back and then it'll be every other week thereafter. So once again, another incredible reason to join Patreon because we have like eight shows now. (laughs) So it's a lot to keep up with, but it's so much good content and uh, you don't want to miss any of that. Our new books uh, that we're going to be covering next. um, We got the Age of Republic limited series beginning in December. We only have one more week of Kenobi, guys. I'm so sad that it's ending. But it's going to be insane. Um, But we're going to do Age of Republic in December, those first two weeks. Going to cover the villains first and then the heroes and the special that second week. And then January. Wait, 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 we got to build that. We got to build that January one up a little more. Come on. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Adam, Yes. In January, we will be doing Charles Soule's Light of the Jedi. Is that better? (laughs) All right. Super excited to be doing Light of the Jedi. Um, I do believe that the Living Force guys might actually be giving a little bit of tease to those first couple chapters here coming up on one of the upcoming Living Force episodes. Uh, But we're going to do the whole shebang uh, beginning in January. So go ahead and pre-order that January 5th. um, And we will get to that at the end of the show. I'll remind you again. Let's get into Kenobi. Uh, This was a wild set of things that happened here. So I'm going to go ahead and get into the summary of the chapters. Bear with me. This is spoiler heavy territory. And let's just do it. So first, I would like to formally apologize again for leaving us off with one chapter to go in the previous section. My bad. Um, That said, I think it worked out. Uh, So Master Bojabupa, say that 10 times fast, Master Bupa, that's just fun, uh, is looking for Orin. They have a conversation in secret, and when they wrap up, Bupa makes mention of the boss. We move over briefly to the Tusken Raiders and learn that they are wrapped in their coverings immediately after birth. They live with their sores, and I'm pretty sure that applies both physically and mentally. Aark also decides it's time to start figuring out what actually drives humans. In the midst of this, some Bantha riders show up with a stolen Vaporator. And speaking of, all the Vaporators in the area just seem to not work anymore, like they've lost their magic. Ulbrich seems to be the unlucky one who lost the Vaporator to the Tuscans. Orin tries to sell him the call once again, because, you know, that wouldn't happen otherwise. And when he refuses to buy, Orin talks to his kids about that incident with Bupa showing up to the claim. He should have had a warning. Some weeks go by, Ben hasn't shown back up, and Annalene is all out of sorts about it. Um, Orin ends up surprising her with this big trip for the entire family to go to Mos Eisley for the day. And in his meditations, Ben, we see, is reflecting on the little people's problems. They, they matter, too. Um, Annalene and the kids run into him on their way out. Um, they find that Rue, his Eope, is pregnant. Getting everything sorted out, Orin makes this grand gesture of gifting Annalene a new speeder when she arrives in Mos Eisley. Though he can't make the trip due to some meetings, but something weird is going on with him, and we gotta figure that out. The first time Annalene had ever actually been to Mos Eisley had been with Dinar on their wedding day. 
she's reflective as they get caught up in the middle of this Athorian dance party through the streets, which is really fun. Um, taking some time to themselves while the kids get lunch, Annaline and Ben talk about their life. When an Imperial officer and stormtrooper show up, Ben gets really nervous and kind of dips his head down, covers his head again with his hood. Meanwhile, Oren is there on business and doesn't want to be seen by Annaline and the kids. He has these two random meetings scheduled, and Master Bupa ends up taking up one of them. Annaline, Ben, and the kids pick up the new speeder and drive it around for a bit, when they nearly run into the Lars family. Ben uses the force to wildly drive the vehicle away, um, and that's just a whole thing. They accidentally spot Oren being held captive once they slow the, the speeder down, and they try to figure out what in the world's going on and what they need to do about it. We learn that Oren is going to meet with Jabba, only instead he meets with this creature, Mosep Benid, an accountant and avatar of Jabba's. Oren is in debt to Jabba, and the hut wants cash on hand now because of the Empire. He's unsure of what the regime will do to business, so it is better to be flexible. Oren needs to pay up in full soon. And to, so to encourage him, the gangsters hook him up to a nerve disruptor. Oren tries to escape and everything gets crazy. These cave-in whistlers come flying down and biting guards. Ben does his best Batman impersonation, whisking people away without Oren seeing him. And recognizing that he's alone now, Oren ends up taking some credits and spares the accountant. Uh, running out of Jabba's office, he spots Annie and the kids with his kids and Ben. Um, and then out of nowhere, he just asks Annie to marry him. Um, she needs some time to give him an answer. Um, so he talks with his kids after this whole thing's kind of going down. And he's like, we need to put plan two into motion. Um, and it involves Zed, who you'll remember got into a whole bunch of stuff and injured himself. And his ribs were all a big thing. And uh, But apparently he's been taking the wrong painkillers. And he's now addicted to Wookiee meds because, of course, he is. <laughs> he's a big guy, but he's not that big. <laughs> Oren finds a way to get Jabe involved instead, which is not going to go well. When everyone goes to part ways, Ben says he'll find his own his own way home. But Annaline says otherwise, and Oren doesn't seem too happy about that, but he relents. Annaline then makes an advance on Ben. Um, he dismisses it, and it turns into this honest and brutally raw emotional conversation about each other. She is bored. Ben is anguished. Um, and at the end of it, Annaline reminds him of the sign that is up at the claim. Find what you need at Dinar's claim. Then he meditates. He recalls past romantic entanglements with Siri Tachi and Satine. He's prepared to give up love, but he's not prepared to give up the community that he's always had. And that's the thing that he's always had instead of love. He lost his entire Jedi family. And he's asking himself questions like, what does it mean to be a Jedi alone now? Um, he remembers all these people that have been able to do it without, you know, organized religion or anything like that. But he's got to be responsible for both the big picture and the immediate smaller details. And then his thoughts come back to Annaline. He remembers something and then he leaves. Adam, the 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 first set of chapters kind of seemed a little slow, but really picked up there towards the end. What are your thoughts on this section, which we properly finished the section? We, we, we ended it before part four started. So first, let me applaud myself here but now what did you think about about this everything we got here no i really enjoyed it i enjoyed the the obi-wan moment saving oren and, and keeping in the shadows as he did so i but i particularly liked the end when you know annaline just opened herself up to ben and ben 
in his own way opened himself up to her and just to see that that relationship had got to that point it was just nice to see Annalene was like no I know what I want and I'm going to go for it um so yeah for me that was my favorite part of that section as a whole yeah there at the end that was like everything that I was waiting for this book to be (laughs) um and just again the the pacing of everything has been flawless Patrick did dip out just a little bit. The the wedding that he is kind of attending on the side, it looks like it's getting started. So he may jump back in. Um, if so, awesome. And if not, then we will catch him next week. But yeah, the I loved everything about this. Um, and we'll, I guess we can get into the specifics now. You know, we'll get into Oren and, and Master Boopa shortly, which is just so fun to say. I'm sorry, I can't help but giggle every time I hear it. And you know, real quick though, actually, I do want to talk about that. Everyone's in Star Wars, you just have to have a little bit of fun, right? I feel like this was the perfect, just, you can't write that and you can't say it without giggling, I feel like. Would you agree? <laughs> oh, most definitely. And I love when gangsters have these silly names. Like we have gangsters in this section that put victims in cages and allow animals to pick at them while they're alive. But then they have silly names and you don't know whether to be frightened or just laugh at them. <laughs> right. So it's like, right. I think Star Wars has always been good about, you know, a heavy topic followed by something a bit more light, lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. Then John Jackson Miller just absolutely nails that balance for sure. But I want to talk about the Tusken Raiders because this is the only time that we really see them in this little bit um we learn about the their wrappings situation that their coverings um and we learn about you know their sores and and all of this is does this line up the explanation that we got for all of that does this line up with what you had always kind of imagined the tuscans like why they wore their coverings or was that ever a thought that crossed your mind at all i think that i just assumed that when they were alone, that they would remove their their coverings, um, mm-hmm. you know, much like a, I think some real world uh, examples of an Islamic woman will wear her hijab on the outside and then in private will remove her her covering. Um, yeah. So it was very interesting to hear that not only do they keep it on and it goes on at birth. Like, could you just imagine? how terrifying that would be for the the infant then to like no matter what happens you just keep layering it on like i think there was an example that if there's a pebble stuck in there then you they just leave it you layer over it like i I get a pebble or a rock stuck in my boot and it annoys me until i take that boot off and get it out of there (laughs) yeah like it just it's just such a tough life and and like Mm -hmm. they live in a tough environment and then they're making it tougher for themselves. It's just, it's really interesting. Really, really well done. I had not even thought to think about what the Tuscan Raiders were or weren't or, or you know, the reason for just, I just always kind of, was, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting that they just kept layering it on year after year after year. Um, and I got to think that's got to stink <laughs> um, with everything else that, that they do. I mean, how vicious and, and war driven they are and just not ever it's really seeming like they have rest. Like that just seems so unhealthy, but for them, like you push through, like it's what it is. Like it's, you just, yeah, you get scarred, you get bruised, you get sores, and you just you go. You wrap it and you go. It's, 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 um, it's like they make it personally tough for themselves because the environment 
is already doing that. So they're trying to toughen themselves up to be able to live in that harsh Tatooine double sun. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. Um, what what do you think they want with this vaporator? You know, these Bantha riders come in with with the vaporator. What's going on here? Well, I, I, I don't know. It's like, well, I think we automatically went to Aark's reaction if we were to put ourselves in her shoes where she's like, what is this blasphemy? Why, right. do, you ha- why do you have it? Um, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes. It did surprise me. I was like, it just kind of happened. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? But yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to see. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that, I mean, it, it makes sense after having, you know, read the rest of the chapter, uh, but I wasn't anticipating that this would be the only time that we would see them. So I'm imagining that there's going to be this big kind of blow up in the last section of this book, which I'm looking forward to. Um, cause you know, there is some scheming, you know, like Aark's watching Kenobi. He's trying to figure out like, what is it that actually drives these people? Because we're driven by war and just staying alive. But like, what is it that these people are about? And I'm interested to see, you know, after all of this time away, you know, we get a time jump of a couple of weeks at least. So I'm interested to see what they've been talking about in all that time, you know, what they've been thinking and scheming and, and coming up with and, and where that goes. But you know, the vaporator, they took it. We find out Ulbricht's the one that ended up losing it, probably because he doesn't have the call, if you ask Oren. But there's one thing that really kind of stuck out to me out of all this that's not kind of retreading the same conversations that we've had. And it's that Ulbricht thinks that Ben looks like a Tuscan stole his wardrobe. <laughs> and I know that there's there have been a couple of conversations about Ben's appearance, how minimal he lives and things like this. But it kind of surprised me that so soon after the ending of the Republic that no one out here really seems to know what a Jedi looks like because I get the impression that Ben's wearing the same thing that he's been wearing his entire life. Um, so have these people just never heard of or seen a Jedi? I don't know. Does that seem right to you? I guess so. Just with it's where it sits in the galaxy, the outer rim automatically take away some Jedi knowledge. Like you look back at the Phantom Menace and you know, they covered themselves up there, but I don't think they even really needed to. I just don't think that there'd been enough Jedi on that planet. Like, you look at the Clone Wars, etc. Like, the, the planet is rife with crime. There's slavery. There's all these things that if the Jedi were there on numerous occasions, you would hope that they would do something about that. And again, you know... You That's true. At, you look at the fall of the Jedi and the Republic, like, why would you visit this planet numerous times and then allow slavery to continue? Um, so, That's a fair point. Yeah, so I look, yeah. I, I look at like planets and 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 just what terrible things are going on, and then I and then I I link it to perhaps the Jedi are not going to these types of places when they really should. Yeah. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. Well, it also kind of brought to mind um, the myth aspect of Jedi, right? That for some of these people, um, you know, we read in. Um, uh, oh, the first Battlefront book uh, that came out. Um, you know, it's like, is Luke Skywalker even a thing? Like, that's just a war story. It's propaganda to, you know, build us up and to get us moving into doing things and fighting for a cause. And, you know, we read things like uh, myths and fables and stuff. And it's like, it's like Vader's not real. He's just this story to scare people and to, you know, kind of do that. And it, it almost made me think like these people probably think the Jedi are myth because they haven't come to save them or rescue them or anything like that. So why would you put any stock in anything there? 
it's like you, you, yeah like you would hope that they because uh, we like we love hearing the jedi easter eggs oh i knew this i knew this jedi i know this story but like mm-hmm. you know the when they fell what there were ten thousand of them in a galaxy wide political system where which probably has three billion inhabited systems in it itself so ten thousand right. Jedi's, three billion planets. It's like it's easy to see what like how it can fall into myths so quickly. So there's always the questions of, you know, you look at them. Why doesn't Din know this? Why doesn't all these characters know about the Jedi? Well, there's like not a, not even a measurable portion of the galaxy. Like there's not enough for them to be measured in numbers as a percentage. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so true. They are, they are very negligible. Yeah. yeah. And then it all just yeah. becomes word of mouth. And then you can see while it's, it's so easy for Palpatine to just wipe them from the map. He's not really wiping a lot off. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, that's how I've always reckoned it myself where there's, there's just not that many of them in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I buy it. That makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Once again, you are very intelligent. <laughs> uh, but no, we get... Go for it. I was going to say, I don't do any of the prep work. You do all the hard work. I just come and I talk. <laughs> hey, that's... We need people like that. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that uh, we did get to see a little bit in Chapter 27 is where Ben hasn't been showing up much. Uh, you know, we get Lily kind of poking at Annalene a bit. You know, she has this Kenobi system for reorganizing everything at the claim because she is so torn up that he hasn't been back. Like, like what what's going on? Why isn't he back? Um, I thought it was interesting that Lily has this side business as a sculptor and that she's like pretty successful going around the outer rim and stuff. Um, that seemed a little bit odd to me. Um, but all of that really kind of honed in, you know, oh, Ben has this this meditation towards the end of that chapter where he's like, you know, the little people's problems are just as important to them as these galactic problems. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, the. I don't know, what's the significance of him him learning that? The first thing I thought of was it's a little late. Mm. Um, which is hard because they were put into that position as Clone Wars leaders and for three or four years they could only think at a galactic level when they should have yeah. been thinking at like a personal level, helping planets like Tatooine and doing all this. And it's... It's both great that he has come to that realization, and that people like Annaline and and Oren have helped him get there. It's just, it's also very sad that it has taken so long. Yeah, well, and the the too late thing is, I, th- I think we're going to come back to that in his last meditation um, because he talks about Anakin a lot and about how. You know, his confrontation with Annalene there um, of who's responsible for what and whatnot. Like if he had learned, you know, the little people's problems, the, the details mattered. You know, maybe he would have spent a little more time with Anakin going like, hey, dude, what's up? <laughs> like, like, let's let's calm down. What's going on with you? Let's let's talk through some things. It's, it's, um, like, it's like we watch yeah. we watch season seven of the Clone Wars. And in, you know, that first arc, it's pretty obvious that Ben knows something's going on. Like they're either really close friends or there's something romantic there, but he just doesn't have the time to sit him down because straight from that scene, we're then doing bad batch, save the galaxy type warfare 
where he just there's no time for him to both comprehend it and then sit Anakin down and go, all right, we're we're brothers, but I'm going to be the I need to be the older brother looking after the little brother here, and like we can let's talk about this. It just he never had time, uh, and no, so now yeah. now naturally like he is thinking back with regret. Yeah, realizing that that maybe that one little conversation that he could have had the the little people moment could have saved the bigger greater galactic conflict <laughs> yeah it, it just it's it just shows that you can take that into your real life where you these little things constantly happen and you just you mm-hmm. either push them to the back or you push them to the side and you're like it's a problem for future adam but eventually the the little things they pile up and they pile up and and last bit of hay on the stack and the thing falls it's and i think for obi-wan it's just it was just constant building and building and building and then the galaxy went to shit and here we are he's meditating in a hut in the middle of the desert <laughs> yeah yeah there was definitely a, a divergence in the the life plan yep um yeah, and I, it, yeah. it's like it's just sad that it, he came he came to that so late and maybe he he didn't really come to it so late. he just didn't have the time to do anything about it mm-hmm yeah, because he's too busy trying to settle all these other conflicts going on, and oh my god, put, putting up with Mace Windu yeah. uh, had to bring him had to bring him back in. You know, this wouldn't be Conjure Club without a Mace Windu conversation. He goes back to his quarters in the Jedi Temple, and there's like thirty voicemails left by Mace. Just <laughs> delete. He just <laughs> leave him alone. Yeah, leave he, the guy alone. And like this is just one of those little things where you know you look at Palpatine and how smart that plan was, where. I'm just always going to keep him busy. I'm just going to keep him busy doing something they shouldn't be doing in the first place. I'm going to keep him thinking galactic level problems and all the little problems will just build and build and build. And then when I get rid of him, no one's going to care. Yeah. Because <clears throat> they weren't helping you to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So smart. So devious. So smart. Mm. Uh, let's talk about someone who's not so smart. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> that is, our man Oren Galt. Um, what in the world is he scheming? All right, so he he makes this grand gesture, right? Of hey, Annaline, I'm gonna send you and the kids to Mos Eisley for the day. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah. And the next day, he's like, hey, while you're there, I bought you a new car. And she's like, what? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and then he sh- uh, that I don't know what what is going on with him. I think I I I don't get it. Like before we had the ability of hindsight when I got to the end of this, like at at the time I was looking at it like he's seeing Ben is encroaching what he thinks is the woman that he wants to be with, even though she clearly doesn't want it. Different conversation. But he's like, he's just, he's putting all these cards on the table now. Like I'm going to, just buy all these things and make you happy. And that's here's a, yeah, here's a, a dopamine hit. Here's yeah. another one. Here's like, another one. Yeah. It's like, all right, that's not how it works. Like you can't buy her love if it's not like, it's not there. Um, right. so that's what I right. thought was happening. And then like we skip ahead to, we now know how he's got such a ranch and how he started the core fund. Like he is in with a job of the heart loan shark basically. Yeah. Um, so now I'm looking at it like, well, Annaline has a successful business. She's making credits. So does Oren, I think that there is an attraction there, but now I'm also thinking that Oren would like some of those credits to make uh, his debt go away a little bit faster. 
Yep. Well, and that goes into, you know, towards the end of this. Um, yeah, that with all of the, the debt that he is in, I, I think there might be genuine interest in Annalene, but also very much uh, he could become part owner of the claim where he has made a temporary office in. Right. Like where he conducts his business. Um, and yeah, she's she seems to be a little too smart for that, at least right now, from what I can tell. But he's just he's just digging a, a deeper and deeper hole that he's not going to be able to get out of. And I find it really odd, and it seems a little backwards to me, that he's going to send Annalene and the kids to the same place where he is going to have these secret meetings. Like, he doesn't think these things through, right? Like, like this is backwards. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't feel like that was very smart of him. No, it's not very smart. I think it also comes from, like, a, just a bad decision from being smitten, like... You know, was his plan to she's going around with the kids and he just magically appears and inserts himself into her day and, you know, the attraction blossoms. Like he's seeing these things perhaps happening in his mind. So Mm -hmm. I did like when he he notices Ben. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) You've uh, you've paid for this this trip basically and, and there's Ben not really enjoying himself, but he's there. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. There, which, you know, with Ben, he, he's a little jumpy this whole time going into most Eisley. I mean, I know we just talked about the fact that no one, you know, on the outskirts, especially of the outer rim of an outer rim planet would know what a Jedi is probably. Most likely, there's there's definitely a greater chance, especially with Imperial presence that is probably there. I don't think they would be looking for for Jedi in particular. I mean, the ones that that find him, you know, when they're talking at the cafe or not find him, but whenever you know they see the the Imperial officer and the stormtrooper, you know, they don't tend to. Um, I don't think they're looking specifically for Jedi in that instance. Right. Um, but he's very jumpy all the way around. Um, and he's extra jumpy when Annalene spots the Lars family walking about with this new baby. Do you think that it's justified how jumpy he is, uh, whenever he sees them? I kind of felt like, you know, maybe you have a conversation with Owen and Baru, like, Hey, look, if I happen to see you in public, you know, like we don't know each other. We don't do any, I don't know. Do, do, does it seem right to just, you know, use the force to throw your speeder into gear and just absolutely run away? It's definitely a tough one. Um, you know, you had the stormtrooper and the imperial officer; they're just taking inventory. But, like, what I put it down to is that basically he's just had his whole family put down in such a violent way that just the sight of anything government will just kind of send him a little send him to that place where he just doesn't really know how he thinks that he's quite possibly one of what two or three jedi left like right are they is is palpatine trying to finish the job is he doing this is he doing that like i can tell why he's jumpy and as for like the whole last family jump um part is does he see luke as the last hope what does he want what does he want of luke at this point does he just want luke to survive long enough for him to then become a padawan to obi-wan and then obi-wan and luke they go off and save the galaxy as they want to do yeah it's just or is he just he's just scared i think he's just scared for the boy 
maybe he he sees the offspring of Anakin and there's that that love is still there like that is that was his brother's son like I think that that, that worry and that love is always going to be there no matter how much he tries to push it back it's like a it's like a, I'm going to watch out for the kid you know from a distance but I don't want any close close connection close it's like it hurts too much kind yeah, of thing I'm like, doing it yes. but maybe I don't necessarily want to it's like his old man broke my heart like he shattered my soul I left yeah. my best friend in a smoking heap on this planet that resembles hell. Like it's, it, it would be very tough, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Patrick, welcome back. Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about, uh, you know, Ben's jumpiness being in Mos Eisley, uh, especially, you know, kind of when it, whenever he sees the Lars family and everything, you know, what, do you think it's justified? I mean, yeah, because technically he's still a wanted man. And the idea that he's already said that he does not want any dealings with the Lars family, does not want any dealings with him. Like, like Owen Lars kind of hates him. And, and it wasn't that just right after he spotted the stormtroopers or right before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that man's paranoid. He doesn't know if they figured him out or not. I'd be, I'm just saying, you got a price on your head. I'd be a little paranoid too. Well, and you know, you bring up a good point that Owen Owen doesn't like him, so he could almost be worried that Owen might cause a scene because if Ben all of a sudden shows up in Mos Eisley, maybe Owen thinks that Ben is following them, like paying too close of attention. That's a that's a good line of thought there as well. Huh? Neat. Well, when Owen meets with Mosep Benid, um, who is not Jabba. We learn not only that he's in debt, um, but that Jabba's pretty uneasy with the turn of the Republic, and he just wants to be flush with cash because it's way more flexible. You know, you can pay off whoever you need to. You can make your way through the galaxy a little bit better. Um, you think it's at this point, Patrick, that Warren realizes how small time he actually is? Yeah. He's... He's big fish in a small pond. Then that pond flooded one day and the little stream carried him into the river where he found out the river connects to the ocean and every fish in the sea lives there. And then he and giant space slugs. (laughs) Exactly. That sit at the river's edge and eat shrimp with their bare hands that are alive. And he realized that not everyone treats him like they do at the claim. Like everything's an honest business. Like everything is a uh, good old people. Every not everyone's these happy, trustworthy range folk. No, it's not how it works in the corrupt big desert city. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I want to know, you know, Adam, from you. Obviously, Orin is small time. Do you think that this may have initially started off from a good place? Like, do you think that Oren got into debt, you know, with the huts because like, like were, were there good intentions behind initially getting there? Um, do you think he was just trying to make a name for himself and trying to be, you know, the big fish in the small pond and be the even bigger fish in the small pond? Or, you know, did things spiral and he was I like, I don't know. What do you think happened there? I think at the start, that he wanted more for himself a little bit. Like he's 
like the first thing that they talk about with the loan was to have a bigger ranch. Like what he had mm-hmm. was not good enough for him. Uh, and he doesn't have the biggest family. His wife had enough. Right. She left. He's only got, he's got two kids. They're both adults. Like, do you, do you really need more at that point? And then I think it then naturally went into the core fund and in his own way, helping others. Now, do I, do we like, do I agree with the way that that works? No, I think it's horrendous. But like for him as the settler, I think that's him helping others. Um, and I just wanted to point out too, like, like they, it's really quick in the book, but it has like such implications is the fact that Jabba was happy with the Republic because it was so corrupt that he could work yeah. fine. He had no right. worries. And now the Empire is here and he is scared that there is fear mm-hmm. there. It's like, it's just, it's another, re- it's like why people were willing to let this happen because gangsters now are also scared. Now you read follow-on material as we as we see in the canon EU where you know there was some problems like Palpatine did turn a blind eye and and utilize these gangs. Right. But it's really I thought it was really interesting that they made comment about that in the book where Jabba was just big dumb and happy. He's like Republic was good for business. Now this uh, fascist regime is not so good for business. Perhaps we don't know at that point. Well well, and even if you even if you hope that things will be better with the new people, even if you think you can expect things will be better with, under the new regime, that time of transition, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is it is always it is always iffy, iffy. You know, fifty fifty. This is this could be a problem. Like it's it's it, it's um, like it's confronting where you know you know it's you know that the republic had fallen beyond repair at that point, but like. You've now got these major gangsters, the huts going, oh, man, now the Republic's gone. Now we don't know what's going to yeah. happen. We we were living the good life. You shouldn't have been living the good life. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it makes me call back, you know, we talk about, you know, Oren being a small fit or a big fish in a small pond. You know, got to think, shout out to my boy Qui-Gon. You know, there's always a bigger fish. And even Jabba's feeling that, I think, that, you know, his nothing in life is guaranteed for him. <laughs> His cushiness could go away like that when, you know, the Imperial might shows up and starts, you know, making taxes. Where it goes from the gangsters can fund senators to just filibust the shit out of of the Senate where nothing will happen to the Empire would just bring the Star Destroyer, take it out and be done with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Oren gets into this mess. And Ben has to go in and rescue him. And I made mention in the summary that he does his best Batman impersonation, <laughs> just whisking people away without Oren seeing him. Like, seriously, I felt like I was playing like like Arkham Knight or something like, like that, you know, just falling from the rafters. And it's like oh, Arkham okay. City, Mos Eisley Edition, DLC, yeah. pre-order now. It was, stop. it was only missing the I'm Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Could could you imagine? Could you imagine? He just he drops. He's like, "Hello there." <laughs> yeah. Oh God, <laughs> it's terrifying, right? What's but- wrong with your voice, Obi Wan? Send his goddamn to it. <laughs> <laughs> my my looks are not the only thing affected. Uh, it gets everywhere. 
Of course. <laughs> but not like you. You're smooth. Oh, man. Sure I didn't know I needed it. <laughs> now, now you know. <laughs> yeah. Why is why is Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan in the new series? We need Christian Bale in here. <laughs> what a spin. Uh, love it. Oh, man. Well... Or Ben has to keep rescuing Oren. Um, why do you think that he does this? I mean, is it is it because he's you know just a good person and that's what he's supposed to do? Um, is 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 there something else going on there, Patrick? Why do you think Ben has? Why do you think he keeps rescuing Oren from his own dumb mistakes? I think part of it is that he still misses that feeling that life that he had and rescuing people brings him back mentally to his pre-exile life. Like it's almost a feel good for him. Mm. That makes sense. Adam, do you feel similarly? Yeah. And I look to his final meditation where he talks about love and community. And he's also in the previous meditation, he's, he's talked about the little problems and I think that even though we don't agree with Oren's methods and we think that he is shady as F, it is that he is still a pillar of that community, unfortunately. And that perhaps <clears throat> if you take away that pillar, then the sturdiness of the foundation will kind of sh- shake a little bit. And we know that he's growing to to really care for this community and he doesn't want to see it crumble in any way. So perhaps saving Oren is a way of keeping that together. Um, plus he, you know, the Jedi, the whole Jedi thing, he's got to save him. But I think, I think that personal level is there as well, where Oren is a pillar, take away the pillar, the roof will start to shake and it could fall. Because um, it's, yeah. you know, it's Annalene and Oren. They are the Oasis leaders. <clears throat> really good point um and i think not for not for the same reasons but i I think oren also has a little bit of that whenever he goes to save the accountant mosep um you know there's i maybe if i save this one person there will be some good that comes around from it you know if i save the accountant maybe he'll spare me if i if i keep saving oren there's a chance that you know things will, will be better that he may learn from his lessons you know that some good will come of it um, I, I think I think that could be true there. Uh, yeah, after running away and catching his breath for a minute, Oren asks Annalene to marry him. Um, we talked about this a, a little bit earlier, but this is all kind of leading. I think Oren making these grand gestures, um, trying to get a hold of ownership of the claim. You know, I, I think he he's genuinely threatened by Obi Wan in one point, but. Also, I think that just the way that this is building, the meetings that are happening on the side, um, the asking for the marriage, it's all out of nowhere. Annalene calls that out of like, you've always joked about this, like you've never been serious. Um, Patrick, do do you buy that that maybe this is all a setup to, you know, something personally vindictive for him? Or do you think he means this, that he wants to get married? Um, bit of both. I think it's a lot, a lot of personal vindict. Well, not vindictive, but there's more to play at here than he loves her and he wants to get married. It's more of 
I think he sees her as a way out and a way for help. Adam, how about you? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, it's just, I think it's just all catching up. <laughs> Naturally, we're, yeah. especially, you know, narrative speaking, getting to the end of the book where we need to see these things happening. But yeah, it's just the world is catching. Yeah. Well, and we get into the very last chapter which is everything that I was wanting it to be um, and more. I think it's an excellent ending to this section and set up for the finale that we're about to move into. Emotions are on full tilt here. And Adam, I'll start with you. What did you think about Annalene and Ben's conversation? You know, specifically that he basically just says that she's bored and she's just doing things to not be bored. And then her calling out, you know, his anguish and getting him to, to open up and to talk about Anakin. Um, how did, how did all that hit you? Like I said, there's, there's a reason why it was like my favorite part of the section. Like it just all came together. Um, you know, we look at like what we know of Annalene, where she wanted to go study. She wanted to travel the galaxy. And, and I think that's what she's meant to be doing. Like she's not meant to be just sitting on this desert planet, running a, a shop like she's i think she's more than that and it, i think she's struggling now like with the motivation and she said to herself she's bored she just <laughs> i think she needs to get off world and take her kids and do something else and enjoy enjoy the life that she has um and just yeah just shows how close they've come to that ben is willing to kind of open up in his own way like not fully but it's it's started. Yeah. Like the, the relationship has now blossomed to a point where he will say something to her and he'll mm-hmm. open himself up to that emotional turmoil in front of someone that isn't a force ghost. It's 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 nice to see. Um Yeah, definitely my favorite part of the section. And it was just it was like Patrick. when Annalene sorry, when Annalene was like going for it, I was like, Yes, do it. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. This is what we, this is what the people want. This is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I um I, I did think he was going to give in there for a minute. I was mm. like I was like, Oh, I like I want you to, but don't but but do it, but don't <laughs> but do it. <laughs> um Patrick, you know, you've read this before. Did did this chapter still hit you as hard as it did maybe the first time you read it? You really feel the pain that he's feeling, and it gives me flashbacks to episode three because, like, that's the beginning of his heartbreak. And this, this is still like what? No more than what? Five, six weeks after? This isn't. We haven't jumped that far ahead, so it's still an open wound for him. And I think he really does like Annalene as a, as a person, and he's thought of. The little monologue to um, Qui-Gon, he's thought about her in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to give in to it, but he knows he And it's the thing that's there. You want him to, you know he can't, but at the same time, it's like, can you? You can't, really? Wouldn't be the worst thing. Yeah, it's it's a really tough, uh, you know, really tough conversation. And, you know, he really wrestles a lot in that final meditation, you know, talking to an, an unresponsive Qui-Gon. And, 
you know, we talk, Adam, you mentioned a little while ago about, you know, the love versus community aspect. You know, he he wrestles right after he talks about his, you know, crazy uncle, little crazy green uncle, um, <laughs> about the fact that almost every friend that he's ever had is dead. And, you know, just thinking that, you know, to himself, finally putting it into those words just hits him deep. Um, and he's he he's comfortable giving up love. He's done it. Um, he's seen how it has hurt him and, and hurt others in the past, but he wasn't prepared for isolation like this. He'd always had the order to fall back on. Um, you know, how did that hit you? I think that sometimes we also forget that not only has he lost those that he has loved, but he has seen it happen and been there for nearly every one of them. Satine yeah. was murdered in front of him and died in his arms, professed her love, and he said that he would leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Qui-Gon dies in his arms and he's just had to put down a Sith Lord. Um, next, you know, Anakin, the whole Mustafar duel and just the heartbreak of that whole sequence. Like he has not only lost people, but he has been there, lost them and, and probably blamed himself for each and every one of them. <laughs> like... Yeah. Well, he, his, his comment, his comment to her, whenever she realizes, Oh, you were, you were there. And he's like, I was there at the end, but I was also there at the beginning. Um, I don't know that, that hit like, me in a particular type of way. Like, like we, we, you know, you know, we lose people, but he has suffered this trauma. Like he has seen it, he has been there, and he's had to carry that throughout his whole like the life. Like he, when he lost Qui Gon, he lost Satine. Like he was deep in the Jedi Order. He had to follow the Jedi Doctrine. He had to push that emotion away. He had to do this. He had to do that. He never really had the the ability to to process it. Mm-hmm. And then now that doesn't really have that to lean on anymore it's just all coming back now yeah it's like yep. knocking on the door going hello we i'd actually don't go anywhere like you need to talk with me please yeah patrick so going on what adam said losing all his friends how much did that little speeder incident that jabe has remind him of anakin just a few minutes before mm. like Oh, doing something reckless with a speeder. I know somebody who would have did that. Oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you, great point. Like, he could look at Annalene, and she's so strong-willed and independent and just this powerful person. That's exactly what Satine was in the end. Like, he's, he keeps getting these reminders of who he's loved in the past while he's trying to, you know, isolate himself. He just can't escape it. Well, and one of the things that he he thinks about towards the end of of this one sided conversation, you know, with Qui Gon, is that maybe the order isn't necessary, you know, on its own. You know, like other other people have not been underneath the religious structure of the order. You know, there have been Jedi who have left, and you know, some of them may still, you know, fall under the code, but they still do good things. Like they're still good good Jedi without being Jedi, you know, they're still intelligent and smart and kind force users. 
Um, and maybe that's maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what he's supposed to do next. He sounds a lot like like Yoda in the end uh, in the Last Jedi, talking to Luke, right? Like, like the books aren't necessary. None of this is. It's not exactly. necessarily worthwhile. Yeah. It's like you don't have to belong to a particular organization, and, and and if you do, that's that's fine, and that's your choice. But you don't have to belong to an organization to do the right thing. It's like they talked yeah. about on Legends Look Back. There's having the Force entitle you to galaxy or just leadership in general it doesn't like you can Mm -hmm. have it you do good things or you do bad things you don't have to wear a cloak you don't have to do that like it's just it's what it's what you do with the your powers that matter not who you do it for it's just right do the right thing and you know the galaxy will move forward but you know we just we've had these this organization where or these two organizations where there is one side and there is another, like you can have balance Mm -hmm. and do the right thing. Yeah. And at their, at, at their core, it's really hard too, because, you know, organizations are, are flawed to begin with, you know, they're made up of a bunch of individuals who all have their own idea of how things ought to work. And even whatever religious sect you could think of, you know, whether it's real world or otherwise, like everyone's going to have their issues. (laughs) You're a good person. And the only difference is that you're sensitive to the force. It's just in my mind, it's just another, it's an Mm -hmm. cosmic tool that you have that can, you can do things with to make the lives of those around you better but you don't right you don't need the force to do that you can still be a good person yep yeah well and he makes the comment too like i don't even know what if the force knows what it wants <laughs> because it, it seems to be very confused and that, that's hard for him to to understand you know to have felt so close to it to now be detached from every poor every part of it that's hard yeah like you you have so. you have these organizations you know you look at you know, you, you can go back hundreds of years. You look at Templars and they, you know, helped Christian village, like poor people, but then they did just horrendous atrocities. Like it, good is for an organization. It's like the eye of the beholder kind of thing. Um, right. Like first look to yourself, you do the right thing and make, you know, before you look at mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's really interesting to see him in, in this position and to try to figure it out. And we know that he will figure it out eventually. I mean, he's been there for you know decades by the time that he, you know, Luke has grown up. I mean, you know, he's 18, 19 years old, so close to two decades. Um, and he's he's figured he's figured out how to make peace with it some some way, somehow to still do the little good that he can. And I'm sure that he's still we're going to get more of it in this. The last, you know, 11 chapters, 12 chapters we're going to cover, which is crazy that we're already at the end of this book. Um, you know, next week we're talking about, you know, the last little bit. Um, what are you most looking forward to seeing out of the finale, Adam? <clears throat> Just like I know there's going to be some kind of climactic Oren gangster, you know, there's going to be a big finish. That's what I. That's what I think will happen. I've, you know, as someone who hasn't read it, uh, but I. Just, mm-hmm. But for me, the main thing I want to see is just at the end of this. At the end of this section, we saw that Ben, and in the middle of this section, we saw that Ben has grown, and I'll keep seeing the growth. I want him at the end of the story to. He's not going to be healed. He's not going to be fixed. He's just going to be a little bit better. And because he allowed yeah. himself to be a little bit better. And I also want to see Annalene get on a ship with her kids, 
I'll sell her claim, get on a ship, and, and go, just and go. Go explore the galaxy because that's what she's meant to do in my mind. Like, she's not meant to be stuck in the Oasis. She's meant to be out there doing whatever she wants to do. Yeah. And she said she's got the savings to do something. So go do it, girl. Yeah. Do your thing. Yeah. Patrick, I, I know you've read it. No spoilers. But uh, what, you know, what was your. What has been your favorite part so far, either of this section, and and what do you what do you hope to see going forward? My favorite part's been so far that you see Kenobi living with, in a lot of ways, the failures of the Order altogether, and that he he's blames himself for it still, but he's starting to grow out of it, and he's fighting like you see him still fighting his personal connection with Annalene. Like he wants to have and he doesn't at the same time. And it's it's been so great to see that develop for this last part. Yeah. Like because every time they just like have a small conversation, he just seems to like bring her in closer and closer, no matter how aloof, how distant he tries to be. Yeah, he brought, I didn't yeah. even think of that, Pat, that he is. He's like carrying the guilt of an organization that failed because he's one of the two survivors last yes it's a yes survivors guild and then as he like we look at the end of this section like he is starting to look at the failures a little bit like it's it's survivors guild starts and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds well so and then and he's he still he wrestling with yeah and he can't just call yoda and talk about it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah well and he's still wrestling with the guilt of the fact that you know not only did not only did bad things happen to the order, but his very best friend and brother did bad things to the order. You know, someone that was in his care, you know, there's a, a, a he feels that responsibility of not um, not being a good teacher. Right. Of, of of letting that slide, Adam. And like we you can bring that into the real world, too, where, you know, your values might be to care for others and and not judge others and do this but then you know you, you might have family members in there that are on the other side of that and i think we've seen that when like some of our community they struggle with having a family member that supported the other side who didn't want change and just thinks there's no problem and blah 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 like it's like it's kind of the same thing here where like you want you're a good person but perhaps someone close to you is not a good person and is, is that like is that your fault? No, it's not. It's their fault. Like you know what I mean? Like I think that yeah, kind of you can kind of bring that into our own little personal experiences as well. Yeah, do everything you can. Obi Wan probably did everything he can. He made the best decisions that he could in the yeah. moment. Like, uh, but at the yeah, end of the, at like, the end of the day, like the responsibility falls on Anakin yeah. for making exactly. bad decisions and ki- and killing younglings, and you know yeah, he he put he put his own his own interests ahead of anybody else's. And the minute that you do that, you're, you're going to cause problems. And that, that takes the blame off of anyone else. You know, you did it to you. Like if you can, you know, you can look in the mirror and say that you did the right thing, then you did the right thing. Like don't allow Mm -hmm. the, the, the beliefs and actions of others to kind of bring you down because that was their decision. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. This book is really good. I see why it's in the foundational five. <laughs> My goodness. It's it's like it it's like it's like not a lot happens, but a lot really happens. <laughs> it's it's so so cool. So cool to see. 
Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you to everybody for being here and for listening in. Um, We'll be back next week to finish out Kenobi, talking through chapters 36 through 47. Um, In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkstarAU, and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. If you want to help support the show, head on over to utini.com, look up Kenobi, click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content, like our new show that's going to drop here in a couple weeks. Uh, I'll make sure to put links to Kenobi and Age of Republic, which will be starting um, in December and Light of the Jedi that will also be in the show notes Um, and it's if you go back and look up in the um, channels and discord you'll find them there as well also we have some new merch make sure you go check that out etini.com forward slash merch you can also help us out more directly by finding us on patreon at etini.com forward slash patreon or patreon.com forward slash etini a special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson Kyle Hickman Elizabeth Cloutier and our very own Freddie C on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. Thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. Thank you to all of you in the chat. May the force be with you, everyone.